Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, A Date in October, with KFT. This is Kelly Franco Troop, and we are in episode 244 right now on the network. That was a little violin music. We played it all last week. It's Fritz Chrysler on the violin. I was kind of joking with a listener who DM'd me to see if, uh, half joking, you know, if, if we had any culture in our group um, or if we were just old people yelling at the clouds from our lawn. So I decided to treat them last week and this week to my favorite violinist. Yes, I have a record of Fritz Chrysler and also happens to be Ty Cobb's favorite violinist too. So I learned that in my favorite book on, on Cobb, one of my favorite baseball books. I recommend it to you, Kelly, as well. It's uh, A Terrible Beauty, uh, Ty Cobb. I think you may have tweeted about it uh, this past week too to somebody. So it's a uh, Fritz Chrysler violin. There shows we got a little bit of culture in this group. And if we don't, Kelly will bring that to the table today. She brings the, she's the culture in our group for us. So Kelly, welcome back to your show. Dave, I'm delighted to be here. I liked the music and it kind of made me feel like I should have dressed up more for this. Nah, you're fine. It's right. It's uh, audio only. So we, we come as we are here. We come as we are. Um, yeah, great. I know we have two weeks in between your shows. It's a bi-weekly show and I'm excited to get to the top of the first today because I was kind of surprised by your statistic. Uh, with our, with MLB attendance being up. Curious to see what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I read that. I read MLB's attendance, attendance is up 9% this season, and it could be the biggest increase since 1998, which we all remember was the Sosa McGuire year, and it was credited with saving baseball from the strike, you know, reigniting the uh, passion of the fan base. And so I thought about why attendance might be up, and I thought it'd be a fun thing to discuss with you. I know we have the new rules, and some people say, new rules, new rules, that's why everybody's watching. And maybe, you know, I think that when you're watching from home, for me personally, I kind of like the pitch clock. I know it doesn't have 100% fandom on this channel, but I like it when I'm watching from home because the game finishes before I go to bed. Uh, but when I'm at the ballpark, I actually don't mind the longer game because I feel like I want to get my money's worth. And then I thought another possibility was that people feel like more teams are in contention. Maybe it's not only the expanded playoff format, but the fact that this year we have a lot of teams that are on the bubble, as I called them last week when we did our pre-trade deadline program. Um, the Phillies are up and they won the pennant last year. They're up in attendance, I mean. The Rays are up in attendance. The Rangers are up. The Jays, Reds, Orioles, and Pirates are up, although I don't have broken down recent stats for the Pirates. And so all those teams started the year very strong, and except for the Pirates, are still strong. And well, actually, the Rays might or the Reds might have started a little weak, but they're up recently and they have exciting young players. The Orioles have exciting young players. So it may be these teams in contention that have not historically been in contention combined with the fun young players. What do you think, Dave? Well, first, I'll hit the pitch clock. I think I may be the last one to come around on the pitch clock on the network. I think everybody's enjoying it now because we have a lot of pitchers um, with our shows. So they all like working fast. I'm still stubborn in that. I don't think we should have to legislate it to get guys to work fast. Um, but uh, so I, I think uh, most are coming around. But with the attendance, 
you know, maybe the pitch clock has something to do with it where the games are quicker. So people feel like they don't have to sit for three and a half hours. They can go see a game in, you know, two, two plus, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a heretic by nature. I'm a little skeptical by nature. So anything to, anytime I see something come out in the media like that in abundance, I, I, the two questions I asked myself was how are they lying to me and how are they lying to themselves? Um, I'm a little skeptical on that because I think MLB controls their media outlets like no other. And uh, I, I'd like to see the numbers myself uh, rather than it being reported through a third party. But uh, those would be my two reasons why that I think maybe that maybe the pitch clock's making the game goes games go quicker. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of home runs flying out. People like to see that that drama. But the skeptic in me says that we may be getting gaslighted a little bit. And it's always good to have a healthy amount of skepticism because these things are filtered through third parties. But I can say one thing, and that is that I am going to the Mets game tonight. And uh, in my infinite wisdom, I purchased the tickets before they went on it. 9 million game losing streak and traded away all their stars. Uh, but I'm going nonetheless. Yeah. I, w- I was chatting with a couple of Mets season ticket holders and a lot of disappointed fans that bought those tickets at that price early on, expecting to see Verlander, Scherzer, the team in contention. But um, yeah, I mean, and it, the, the game is still, I, I like going in person. Um, you know, I think it's, it's fun to do. You get a chance to see, these tremendous athletes up close and personal. And I don't think anything beats that watching on TV is okay. You know, radio, I love, I still love radio above the, uh, the games on TV. We're going to get to that to the end. I think when we shift up our, you know, what I, what we eat at the games, but um, yeah, enjoy the game. I think it'd be fun. Regardless, you get to see some talent. I love Jeff McNeil. Alonzo obviously is, is one of the best in the game. And um, I was always, a, I was a bigger fan of Frankie Lindor, before he came to the Mets, I, I've been disappointed with his output with the Mets. Not quite sure they got what they paid for with him. There's been some talk of that, and I have heard Kevin Kernan discuss it on your channel. And he has stated that he thinks Francisco is trying to hit too many home runs, and he should go back to being a single hitter. Yeah, he's he's always had he's a switch switch batter. He's always been a three three hundred hitter before he came to the Mets, and he was more of a line drive guy up the middle, gap the gap with occasional power. And like a lot of the guys are doing, we went through that with McNeil last year where he was a 300 hitter or two years ago, I say, and then all of a sudden he just bottomed out, hitting 220, trying to hit homers. He adjusted. Now he's back to being himself. Sometimes guys just have to try stuff. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, um, you know, hopefully someone's in his ear letting him know if he's not reading the stat lines every day that whatever he's doing is not working right now. Well, and of course, if you pay attention to the Twitterverse, which I do as part of owning a baseball media company, there are those people who say that if only Lindor had bought McNeil that car for winning the batting title, everything would have been different. Yeah, yeah. And I still like his game. And the, the guy I love to watch, I used to love to watch him and Jose Ramirez. I thought they were, you know, two of the best hitters in the game, two and three in that Cleveland lineup. But, uh, you know, you. You, you do what you, you do what's tolerated, basically, and it's whatever he's doing. They're tolerating, and that's what they want. So he's going to keep doing what, what's what's allowed or what they want with the Mets. Jose was in the news this week. The, was that because of the brawl? Did he get in a fight? Did I read that right? Yeah, I've been a little out of the loop there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a brawl. One of those things. Yeah, I saw that on Fry's thing. That's actually where I read. He said there was a brawl. He was he was going through a list of 
uh, a litany of things that went on in, in the day in baseball. And I, I, I did see Ramirez with his hands on somebody's shirt. So a little surprising. He's usually got an even temper about him. But uh, I didn't, I, and I, I, I'm honestly, I don't know what happened. I didn't see what happened. I don't know if you did. I saw, I, you know, I watched the replay. It's always kind of hard to break these things down. You almost need like a, a play-by-play just for the fight. Um, but it looked like Ramirez might have slid into second, landed safely, wanted Tim Anderson to give him a hand up, and that was not on offer, and things went south from there. He's had a tough year, Tim Anderson, um, in a lot of ways. It's uh, coming off a where he was supposed to be a major player with the World Baseball Classic team. But, uh, yeah, he's had a tough year injury-wise, performance-wise, and obviously, you know, Somebody mentioned, I saw that in the Twitterverse that Tim Anderson had a glass jaw, so I'm assuming he got hit um, in the fight. Yeah, yeah, he did. It was, uh, I think it might have been a left hook. Oh, hopefully he's all right. I don't know, is he out on the injured list now? I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes I shake my head at these things. I don't want to glorify the violence. At the same time, I know that sometimes things go old school and... That's just the way it is. Yeah. I, uh, and, and I'm not sure if you, I know you, you're going to the Mets game tonight. I tried to catch up yesterday on baseball. We were away this weekend with events for our children in the basketball realm. Um, so I tried to catch up last night and I caught something on, um, again, on social media, DJ LeMay, who base hit to right center field, Stanton on second base and, as I watched it, I thought my phone and I watched it on laptop and then I pulled it up on my, my kid's iPad. I thought he was running in slow motion and I don't know if you saw it or not, but oh, yeah, I saw it. they waved him around and I mean, he was thrown out by him out. It looked like he wasn't even trying. It was pretty grim. I have to say I saw it live and it did look like I was actually watching the slow motion instant replay. And I don't know if the guys got hamstring issues I think he was out earlier in the season for some hamstring issues so maybe it's acting up and maybe he thought I don't want to get hurt I mean I want to give him the benefit of the doubt but I have to say it was painful to watch I did tweet about it in a somewhat humorous manner and people responded even more humorously somebody said he should have had a tracking number on him Uh, so yeah it was not pleasant to watch yeah, I put something out there, and I put it on Facebook on our. And I, my question was, "Is this a joke?" And uh, I didn't. My the comments back to me weren't quite as humorous. They were all s- slated to one side. Uh, New York fans not happy with with the the output. And they, the Yankees have restricted him on running the first base, telling him not to run hard. So I I, I kind of asked myself the question out loud, like, why are they sending him on that if they know he can't run hard? And why is he even playing if he can't play hard? It. Uh, I don't, I don't get it. And all. I think that you nailed it on the send. I think it must've been a bad send. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, a major league baseball player has got to be able to score on a single to right center from second base. We do that with our nine-year-olds. They have to do it still. So the fact that he's not able to run there, it's, it's I guess it state's a bigger problem. He's got to get himself healthy without question. But, um, yeah, so I didn't mean to take you off track there with, with that particular one, but I'm glad you saw it too. I assumed you were following your, your New York contingency out there, whether it's Yankees or Mets. So a question on the tickets tonight. Where are your, not that we want our fans bothering you at the game, but 
and I won't ask <laughs> you to reveal your seats, but good seats uh, down close. Yeah, yeah, I think we are. We're down on field level, and um, they should be good. Good deal, good deal. And uh, hopefully it's worth the price of admission um, to, to see that. What do you buy at the park? Do you, do you, are you a souvenir person? Do you get a, a scorecard program? Do you get a hat, T-shirt, you just... No, I I am probably a bad um, fan that way. I go in and I sometimes even look at the rules of the stadium ahead of time because I want to make sure what I can bring in. I don't want to sound like a cheapskate. I'm not. But a couple of things in life burn me up. And one of them is when I have to pay $8 for a little bottle of water. Yeah. So if I can bring in water, I'll check the rules again. You can usually bring in water as long as it's obviously not glass. I'll bring in my own water and you know, when I'll buy the food and the ice cream, I'm bringing my nephews. So we'll, we'll buy what we need to buy, but I don't think I'll be getting the big, we're number one Mets foam finger. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that there. It's, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I always like to keep score. I usually get a program and I like keeping, keeping the old traditional book. I'm surprised at how many people, even, I guess I loosely call them baseball people, but I have dads of my generation and of course, none of the kids, they don't know how to keep score um, in a game. And I, I find that kind of un-American, to be honest with you, that they can't keep, they, they have no idea, idea how to keep a book during a game. Well, Dave, I'll let you in on a little secret. When I was a freshman in high school, I was the official scorekeeper of the New Canaan High School freshman baseball team. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a lost art. I'm surprised when we play our games, we have, I always ask somebody, hey, can can somebody keep the book? And I, mean, I don't have a single person in our program that knows how to keep the book. And I'm just appalled by that. It's uh, again, that's my own narrow view of the world, but uh, I'm glad you know how to keep the book. That, that means we get to keep your show going here. You get right. street, street, cred, street cred. So with it back to the 9%, the original up, you, you, what are your thoughts on it? Why do you think it's up? Um, well, I think it might be that we have some more young players out there and more of these teams that maybe historically hadn't been in contention, like the Reds, the Orioles, and the Pirates, mm -hmm. maybe they're bringing things up, and maybe we need to keep watching it and watching the numbers and see what the background is. Like you said, yeah. I can't believe everything we read. Yeah, and there's nothing healthy about my skepticism. That's uh, a <laughs> that's entrenched in my amygdala, I think, right there. It's always, I have, people are either overly positive or overly negative. And that's my first instinct is always to, I, I revealed it on the show. So but yeah, I think the, the Baltimore is a great baseball city. Pittsburgh is as well. And Cincinnati, those are, those are fan bases that, you know, deserve to have success. So you, you could be right. Baltimore has been down for a while and they're exciting to watch. I watched them against the Yankees on TV last week, I believe. And oddly Rushman, boy, he's, he's my favorite. I love him and Wander Franco. Those are two can't miss guys for me. Mm-hmm. Love them both. Um, yeah, and the Orioles have this guy. I haven't seen him. He's rumored to be awesome. Jackson Holiday. Have you heard Holiday. about him? Oh, yeah. That's Matt Holiday's son. Uh, number one pick in the draft last year. He's climbing up the ranks right now. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about him being a transcendent transcendent star in the game. So well, well ahead of his his time with how he plays the game. And, of course, he had a Major League Baseball dad as, um, to boot. So sometimes that helps. But a lot of the scouts, I mean, across the board, unsolicited, who have seen him say he's he's way ahead of his time in terms of his 
approach to the game and his skill set, his size and strength. He's, um, I don't know if we'll see him this season, but um, who knows? Who knows with the 40-man roster uh, coming up in the fall. In the, uh, we're getting close to it anyway. We may. Yeah. But um, we'll get into the, the main segment here now. We, we had the trade deadline. And, of course, uh, the, the, I won't call them your Mets because you didn't do anything wrong. We don't need to use possessive pronouns um, on that. They're, they're responsible for their own actions. But they, they paid upwards in the neighborhood of $80-plus million to send two Hall of Fame pitchers to pitch for somebody else. Um, so I'm going to get your thoughts on the trade trade deadline here. So you can start wherever you want. Mets, I guess Mets is appropriate. Then we can get to some winners and losers. Sure. Yeah. Well, since we were just talking about the Mets, we'll talk about how they spiced up the trade deadline and not by who they got, but who they gave away. Um, We all know by now they unloaded Scherzer to the Rangers and Verlander to the Astros. And in return, they uh, they bought the farm. But thankfully, that means the farm system, although some Mets fans might think they bought the farm. Uh, They got prospects and the math is startling. So you have to look up what the Mets picked up for each pitcher's contract in unloading them. The Mets sent Scherzer to the Rangers in exchange for top shortstop prospect Luis Angel Acuna, who obviously comes from great baseball stock. He's the brother of Ronald. But Steve Cohen agreed to pay at least $35.5 million of the remaining $58.2 million left on the three-year contract Scherzer signed prior to the 2022 season. And then you had the Astros, and they were like, oh, my God, the Mets are paying people to take Cy Young winners. We'll take one. So uh, the Astros got Verlander. And in exchange, they sent two prospects, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, who were number one and number four in the Astros farm system. I hear Gilbert plays kind of like a madman. He's an aggressive and fun player to watch. And Clifford, I hear, is supposed to be a talented corner outfielder. Okay, so they got good people. But again, look at the math. Verlander had a two-year contract with the Mets for $86.6 million with a $35 million vesting option for 2025 if he threw 140 innings in 2024. So if that third year had vested and if he had stayed on the Mets, the Mets would have owed him in total $92.5 million. And if that's the case with him on the Astros and the option vest for 2025, the Mets would pay $52.5 million of that $92.5 million. So the Astros would pay $40 million. So between Scherzer and Verlander, the Mets could be paying up to $88 million over the next three seasons, which is a lot of money to pay for prospects. Um, and Dave, I was kind of wondering, you know, you watch players from the time they're playing t-ball until they get into Major League Baseball. How do you value these prospects that kind of none of us have really seen face major league pitching, or if it's in the case of a prospect pitcher, they've never faced major league hitting. I'm, I'm pretty firm on, I'd much prefer to have a guy that's proven already in major league baseball than have a prospect. I'm not a big prospect person. Um, you know, I was a, I was a young coach when I got my first division one college job. And I always used to cringe when I heard the word potential and I won't use the word on 
the air, but I always thought potential should be a four letter word. Um, and it's for me that, that when you, when you sign or recruit on potential, those are the type of players that get you fired and never, never a big prospect person. I understand the value of it and stockpiling it. And, you know, there's certainly NBA, NBA teams that do it. There's MLB teams, you know, the Orioles tanked for about a decade and they, you know, they certainly have prospects now, but the anguish that the anguish and the, um, the carnage that happens with who gets fired over that time is, is not worth it. So yeah, I might much prefer to have the guy that's been in the major leagues that's done it. And uh, as opposed to, I know they're excited. Of, well, I don't know who's excited. I've heard they're pumping that they got Acuna's brother, but you know, he, he hasn't taken a major league at bat. So it's all speculation on what they can do. So, and it's, it's to me, and I don't want to give away my, my uh, segment at the end, but I'll, I'll use a, a phrase I use all the time with younger coaches that call me about advice. And I say, it's like cooking popcorn in the pan. Sometimes the kernels pop, sometimes they don't. And I, I'd much prefer the finished product over, over a uh, prospect. So I think the, I, I don't like what the Mets did. I really don't. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know that their signing was that good to begin with. Scherzer and, and Verlander are great signs, but they got two guys at the end of their career um, overpaid for them to get them. And then now are paying for them to pitch somewhere else in a, in a pennant race. So I think the whole thing was a debacle that they did. Yeah, it doesn't look good for Billy Epler. I have to say that. And the Mets have a very interesting distinction now, because given that they also traded Dave Robertson, uh, Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham, the Mets payroll for players traded exceeds their payroll for active players. I credit Eric Fisher of Front Office Sports, which is where I read this. Their traded player payroll is $156.5 million, and their active payroll is $150.1 million. Yeah, I read that, and uh, I, I got that from you, too, on Twitter. And thanks for citing, citing your source on that. But, yeah, it's, that in itself just makes you shake your head and wonder all these people who are coming into baseball that, you know, I, I'm okay that they don't have baseball sense and they make bad baseball decisions, but they're business people. They're billionaires. I mean, you would think they would value money more than they're valuing it. Well, I thought Kevin, I'm pretty sure it was Kevin Kernan had a genius tweet. He said, you know, it was initially said that MLB owners would hate Steve Cohen but they must love him. He pays teams to take side young winners. Yeah, no, he, uh, that was, that was a mess and it is a mess. So I hope the prospects pan out. It's not the prospects fault. So I hope people don't bang on them and, and, uh, have an unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for their success. Let them develop in their time. And, and hopefully if, you know, four years from now, we're looking back on this and saying, Hey, you know what? They were right. Um, to me, that would be, a that would be a win for the organization and, you know, a win for these prospects too. Cause you know, they're going to put, especially in New York, they're going to put unrealistic expectations on these kids that they signed. And again, it's not their fault. They're babies. Let them develop how they're supposed to develop and things will turn out. Okay. Well, it's an interesting mentality, like you said, of the, the billionaire owner and they have to be billionaires. Now you can't have one of these clubs and be a, a lowly millionaire. Right. Um, but it's not a romanticized view of baseball. It's an investment mentality. Steve Cohen pivoted. He saw an investment that wasn't working and he sold off and started a new plan. 
Yeah, no, it's, and again, it's, we can be critical as I'm being of them right now. And we don't know what goes on day to day. Hopefully there's, if this wasn't just a knee jerk and there was, there is some sort of long-term plan. I know they tried to sell the Mets fans on, I think they, they gave a timetable. We're four years away or something to that effect, but they came in saying, you know, we're, we're going to win now, almost that they were, they were going to buy themselves a, a world series. And had they not said anything, um, still people would be ticked off, but I think people cling to the exuberance of the the owner here. He, he, he came in and was spouting off right away. So I think that's, that's a, that's a him problem. Um, I would say promise less, deliver more. That's the old adage. Well, it's a great lead in. I wanted to talk a little bit about the winners of the trade deadline. So we might as well, speaking of pivoting, pivot right to the Astros because we kind of halfway did them. They got, um, trying to keep up with the Rangers who got Scherzer, the Astros got Verlander and Verlander had a slow start to the season because he was injured, but then he pitched pretty much like his old self. And now the Astros have Verlander and Framber Valdez. And I think they have a nice one, two punch there. Yeah. He's back in comfortable territory. He's had success there with, with the Astros in the past and, it was, you know, a logical move by Houston. Yeah, they, they Houston does it right. They have a wonderful rotation. They've got a solid bullpen. And, of course, their their hitters through the lineup are tough. They've got tough outs. And people thought the loss of Carlos Correa last year would hurt them. But, you know, they got the rookie phenom last year, Jeremy Pena, hitting in the two-hole form. Altuve's healthy now. So, yeah, Houston does it right. They're always trying to win. Now, people forget – we're 20 years removed from that, but you go back in the, I don't know, mid, mid 2000s, 06, 07, the Astros were the Orioles. I mean, they were tanking like crazy, but they've righted the ship since we're in 2023 now. And I can't remember a time, at least in, in my children's lifetime where they weren't contending. So uh, it's just so, you know, good for them. They got Verlander, they got a frontline starter as if they needed another. And we'll, we'll be seeing them in the postseason again, running deep. And you mentioned some really good things there, Dave, um, that their bullpen was good and they shored up the bullpen with Kendall Graveman from the White Sox, who was, uh, yeah, he was one of the um, good catches of the trade deadline. You mentioned Carlos Correa and they did let him go. And then kind of look what happened to him. He almost signed two giant contracts and didn't get either one of them this past offseason. And it makes me wonder if someone on the Astros really knows how to evaluate these things, because when they let him go, a lot of people were shaking their heads, but somebody was right over there. Yeah, he's a good ball player. I like Correa. He's starting to hit the ball now. I think Minnesota moving to the leadoff spot. He's trying to hit too many home runs. Now he's going gap to gap. But I think Houston's got a clear line of sight from owner to GM to skipper all the way through their minor league system. And and I, I don't know the, I don't know their organization intimately, but the word out there is they trust their scouts. And as we know, scouts are being pushed out of the business more and more now. And they, they trust their eyes that are out there evaluating talent and down in the minors value evaluating and their advanced guys and their, and their, uh, their MLB scouts that are scouting other teams. So they're, they're they've got, they've got it together. That's, it's easy to see. And I think that, they were the poster child 
following up on something you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, they were the poster child for starting over from scratch and being completely open about it. Yeah, they started that trend. They tanked, but they have a lot of homegrown talent now. And they can go out and grab a, a you know a cherry on top like Verlander because they've developed guys like Kyle Tucker, obviously Jose Altuve. They've got Jeremy Pena, um, Alex Bregman. And there, there's and then they they signed uh, Jose Abreu in the offseason when they lost Yuri Gurriel. You know, they go bring in another solid first baseman, middle of the lineup guy that's going to hit for high average, drive in runs, and uh, and be healthy. So they they they've got a formula for their success, and I I, I admire what they're doing. So they're two and a half games behind the Rangers, I think, for the division. Of course, the Rangers got Scherzer. Um, but it's worth pointing out that Scherzer hasn't had a Scherzer season. He's got a 4.04 ERA, which would be good for a lot of pitchers, but not by Max Scherzer standards. And it's interesting to me because many Mets were okay when Scherzer left. But they actually didn't want to see Verlander go. A lot of Mets fans were sad when Verlander left. Um, but the Scherzer signing, I think, is good for the Rangers. You know, we're Bruce Bochy fans here. And um, I think that Scherzer, his signing is going to tide them over until DeGrom gets back next year. Because Scherzer's on contract through next year. So it'll bring them right up to Jake DeGrom returning. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, Scherzer's pitching coach when he was in Washington was Mike Maddox. And not that he's going to change his world around, but there's that special relationship that pitchers have with their pitching coach. We just had Leo Mazzoni on, and he was talking about that, how certain coaches give certain guys confidence, and they get them back to their true north. And that may be all he needs as well, just to remind re- remind Max Scherzer who Max Scherzer is. Mm. Sometimes the change of scenery can do that. And then they also, the Rangers also got Jordan Montgomery, who's a solid lefty starter. And the Yankees fans were not happy to lose him at the trade deadline last year. No, and I, I like Bader. He's been a little bit on and off with his health. But, I mean, the Yankees needed a lefty starter. Montgomery's been solid there. I was hoping the Yankees went and grabbed him although they made zero moves, I was thinking that was a logical move with all their pitching woes going on right now with the injuries. Yeah, it was hard to lose a, a homegrown lefty starter who really liked being a Yankee. And I like Bader a great deal. The problem is he's injured a lot, but he plays hard and I think he brings an energy to the team. So it's nothing against him at all. But you look at the Rangers now, they've got Scherzer, they got Montgomery, they've got Nate Eovaldi. I mean, if you have three good starters, you can go far in the playoffs. Yeah, and John Gray was a guy they picked up from from Colorado. Um, he's in their rotation too. And I like their, their – the Chris Stratton's a solid bullpen piece for them. Um, and then they, I think they got Austin Hedges too. Uh, he's a as a defensive catcher. There, so they picked up. I thought they were they were aggressive, Texas, but not reckless. Like they didn't go out and you know dismantle things. They added some really important pieces that could keep them ahead of Houston. Yeah, and I think Bochi manages well, and Chris Young gave him the resources. They had a great off season last year, with the exception of Degrom. Uh, 
getting hurt, that was a disappointment, but it was really a near perfect off season. Now they've made some good moves at the trade deadline. And I think they're the real deal. Yeah, they, they are. And um, another team you mentioned uh, in, in our text back and forth, I thought Miami, what they did, it wasn't like, you know, headline stuff. They picked up two corner guys that are good hitters with, with Bell and, and with uh, Berger, if I remember Berger, right. Yeah. And, uh, and they were, and I like Gene Segura, but I think with um, his contract was a little, little high, but uh, they were able to unload that contract, which opens up some possibilities for the off season for them. I like him. I think he's solid. I think he'll be good in Cleveland. Cleveland needed to fill that shortstop spot because they, they got rid of Rosario to the Dodgers. But uh, I, I like what she did. I like what Kim Neig did down there. Um, she did unload one of their top prospects in the minors, but you got my philosophy on prospects earlier. Um, but the kid was struggling too. So, uh, And I think I think that that was a win-win. I think Cleveland picked up a good, solid veteran. They picked up a young guy. Didn't have to give up, you know, really anything. And then um, it allowed Miami to pick up those two corner hitters from Josh Bell, who's a little, you know, up and down as a hitter, but he got a switch hitting first baseman with some power. And Berger, I like him. I mean, it's a... He's going to be a 40 homer guy this year. Yeah, they did get Bell from the Guardians. And it tur- it was interesting because the Guardians were sellers. They sent Aaron Savale to the Rays. So, yeah, they sold. Right. They sold. But they're the ones. Aren't Didn't they get um, that guy Manzardo? Yeah, yeah. The um, – the Guardians got a prospect, yeah, <laughs> asterisk. Um, but this first base prospect, Kyle Manzardo, from the Rays for Aaron Savali, and he's Manzardo is out right now with an injured wrist, um, but he's a lefty first baseman and he's supposed to be good. And I thought that was interesting because Cleveland and Rays both have. Um, I don't know if they're good front offices or good scouts, but they tend to make good trades, both of those teams. And so when they trade with each other, it's kind of like, all right, who's going to win that one? Yeah, it's the thing. I think that's why they make good trades because, you know, if you think about it philosophically, if you go in and you try to um, rip somebody off and you're trying to, you're not, nobody's going to trade with you anymore. That's why Billy Bean has a hard time trading anymore because he, he, uh, I think, maneuvered quite a bit. Um, you know, with, again, it was don't fault him for being smart. Um, he maneuvered around some people, but anytime it's a, you know, it's a good trade for both. I think you're more apt to go back and, and work with those people again. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like what they did too. Uh, both teams got better, and and the kid Mazzardo can hit. He's a, he's not your conventional uh, launch angle. What they're go- selling now. He's got power, but he can hit for average too. So when he gets healthy, it'll be a good good sign for them. I can't wait to watch these youngsters grow up. And just an asterisk on the Marlins, they got Dave Robertson from the Mets. And I've always been a Dave Robertson fan, not because he's good. He is good. He's a quality closer. So he's 100% of that. But I feel like he's a stabilizing force. He's so even keel. He's a veteran presence. He's got a lot of postseason experience. And I really like what Kim Ang did for the Marlins. And it's going to be fun to watch them. Yeah, I, I agree. And they, you know, they, Robertson, I loved. I loved him when he was with the Yanks. Uh, but they, they also picked up a lefty too, Ryan Weathers, who, you know, a bit, bit of a, it was called a reclamation project, but 23 year old lefty. 
if somebody can work with them and turn them around, that's a great late inning bullpen guy to have a lefty. Those are, those are few and far between. Right. Right. And they got a righty. They got Jorge Lopez from the twins and Lopez hasn't been great this season. And what's interesting is they traded him for another reliever. It was like a reliever for a reliever. They traded Dylan Floro to Jorge Lo- for Jorge Lopez from the Twins. And it was an interesting trade because it was reliever for reliever, neither one of them having a great season, among two contending teams. So it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. Yeah. And not that we want to be glasses half empty, but uh, who, who were some losers that you thought were in the trade deadline? Well, you know, I have to say um, the Yankees, I don't want to say they were losers, but they were just meh, to put it in the modern parlance. The path they were taking was not clear. And one thing I will say about the Mets is they spent a lot of money this year, but what they did wasn't working, so they changed it. And you have to like that and respect it. The Yankees, I'm just not sure what they were doing. They got some middle reliever, Keenan Middleton, I guess. So they didn't do nothing, but it was not a season-changing trade by any means. And to give the benefit of the doubt, it's possible that whatever any potential trade partners wanted in return was too dear. I mean, who knows? Maybe they wanted Volpe or Dominguez. Oh, and- yeah. Maybe the Yankees just didn't want to part with them. But think, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, we're all great at poking holes and things. That's our uh, that's that's our hobbies now. But the uh, you know with the access that the people we have on on the network, we obviously don't reveal who's telling us what. But yeah, I, I like Middleton will be solid. I think is why I agree with you on that. And then they got Spencer Howard, possible big league pitcher down the road. But it was one of those they kind of pursued and, you know, kind of like shrugged, like, eh. Um, I think everybody wanted Dominguez. Uh, I think everybody wanted – I think Glaber was a hot topic out there for people who's hitting the ball well this year. But the the issue with the Yankees is they have all these prospects. They don't use them in the bigs and give them an opportunity, and they won't trade them. So it's almost like prospects – that's where prospects go to die with the Yankees. So I was was hoping that they would unload some to to bring it in, one for – you know, make the Yankees exciting at, at playoff time, but also for these prospects, they can play. Mm. So, yeah. So that's, that's my Yankee thing. What, now, did you see the Dodgers moves? They brought Kiki Hernandez back to the Dodgers. Um, and then... uh got a Lance Lynn from the yeah. White Sox. I thought that was a solid move on their part. He's been a little shaky this year, but 36-year-old veteran. I mean, he's he's a good good MLB pitcher. And with their, you know, with the injuries that they've had, Kershaw, Hurt, Bueller, maybe return soon, but you know, you can't rely on that. <clears throat> Gives them another guy that's going to eat up 160 to 180 innings this year, which is rare. So uh, he, he's a guy that'll take take to the post every time it's his start. So I, I love guys like that. I like I like the Amod Rosario sign for them. I again, it's not exciting, but when the Mets got rid of him, not to keep poking at the Mets, but the Mets traded him and. He was an up-and-coming prospect, and he was an all-star and found his groove in Cleveland, and now he's with L.A. They certainly needed a shortstop out there. Yes, they did. They did. And while we're on the West Coast, how about those Angels? I'm so glad they didn't trade Otani. Um, they I'm made so- the right choice. 
Yeah, we talked about that uh, on your show, and um, you know he's he's the most exciting player in baseball right now, and to have him and Trout on the same team and not say we're going to try to contend. Arguably, the two best players in the game are two of the top five, if you want to be liberal with it. But he, how do you not go after it with those two guys in your lineup and, and just give it a roll? So I'm glad they stuck to their guns. I'm glad they're they're trying to win, and you know I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that they. You know, who knows what Otani's going to want to do in the off season, but maybe that shows him that they're committed to to winning now. Not only did they keep him, they fortified the ranks, and they got they got Lucas Giolito, they got Reynaldo Lopez, and then they went and got Randall Grichuk and C.J. Crone from the Rockies. Yeah, those those were uh, two understated signs. I thought. You know, we have some Rockies uh, people on our network here, and they speak very highly of Grichuk. Uh, he was a Cardinal way back when, I believe. And, you know, they speak high of his baseball IQ and how he goes about playing the game. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Angels made moves both with the pitching staff and fortifying, you know, their their lineup with some veterans that know how to play. And now they've lost six in a row, I believe. And uh, they're seven games out of the wild card. So it's not looking good, but at least they um, they believed in something. Yeah, and we got a ways to go. I mean, there's it's a, it's a season of runs, and we saw the uh, and, and another team that I was glad that they didn't sell was the Cubs. They went on a nine game win streak right before the deadline, and they were going to unload Bellinger and talk of him going to the Yankees. And they went on a nine game run and decided not to sell and, and reload. So it's a young team. You got Bellinger out there. Dansby Swanson used to be a Brave, and um, Nico Horner, who's one of my favorite young guys to watch, second baseman. Um, early 20s. So uh, it's it's good when the teams in Chicago, the Cubs, the historic teams are good. We talked about Baltimore, their fans. That may be another team that all of a sudden they're winning and Chicago fans are as crazy as anybody. So maybe they're out supporting them again. The Cubs are only a game and a half out of the division right now. And they also got Hamar Condelario. Yes. Yep. And you're right. They didn't give Bellinger to the Yankees. And that was probably a blow because it was, it was beyond a rumor. It was almost like a poorly kept secret. Like the Yankees want Bellinger, the Yankees want Bellinger. And this is a good example of the ripple effect of the expanded postseason because the Cubs were kind of right in the middle. And if there were only, uh, I don't know, Eight teams making the playoffs, they probably would have been sellers, but 12 teams make the playoffs. So they bought, not aggressively, but they did do some buying and they didn't trade Bellinger. Yeah, and I'm glad he's doing well. His Now, his dad was a longtime Yankee. Yeah. His dad's got the dubious honor of being drafted, I believe, by a Yankee. So he was behind Jeter. He was, was a really good shortstop. And then they traded him later in his career to the Orioles and he was behind Ripken. So. He got to be behind two of the greatest shortstops of all time. It didn't help him with his major league uh, service time, but he did come up for a little bit with the Yanks and, and, and play as a utility guy, but certainly developed and traded, or transferred his knowledge of the game to his son, Cody. So uh, enjoy watching him play. And I'm glad he's adjusted his swing going back to what he was like as a young rookie, uh, driving the ball gap to gap. So, and he's certainly, he's a gold glove fielder as well. So I'm glad glad the Cubs are building on him. So what, who didn't we cover that you want to touch on? I know we, we kind of went around the horn there. Pretty much it. You know, I thought it was interesting. The Padre, Padres were buyers. 
I mean, they didn't knock it out of the park or anything, but they got Rich Hill and G-Man Choi, and now they're kind of wallowing it. Yeah. Well, they're 10 games back, but I suppose they're only three games out of the wild card. Is that possible? So maybe Yeah, they, half know. the league's going to make the playoffs, so the way they, they do it. I thought that was a possible buyer for the Yankees, too, with Soto. I thought he may be up for grabs. Uh, but I'm wondering where the Padres get all the money. I mean, they just keep buying. I know. I know. And they lost their media deal. So um, so that's interesting. And then the last thing is the Mariners. They are, you know, look, the Mariners are a, a fun franchise. They have a very faithful fan base. Oh, yeah. Um, and they they sold. They gave up a little bit. But they have good young pitching. And I'm hopeful that they have a bright future. And you know what? Look, they're only two and a half games out of the wild card, so you never know. I mean, we've been talking all year about how good the AL East is and just kind of assuming all the wild cards are coming out of the AL East. But let me tell you, you look at the AL West now and you think, huh, could be something there. You could have one or two wild cards out of there. Yeah, I like Seattle's team. I, You know, I was upset that their young catcher got hurt. He's out for the season. He's a um, Kid Raleigh, up-and-coming star. He got hurt early on, but J-Rod is phenomenal. He's must-see TV every time he's on. And they do have, they have a young, they have a really good young pitching staff. The Kid Gilbert I love. Um, George Kirby. Uh, in their lineup. So, But, uh, yeah, Kirby, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun team to watch. I hope they're in the playoffs because it's a good young team, and I hope the Orioles make it. That would be fun to have those young guys um, experience the playoffs, regardless whether it's a wild card game or who, who cares, uh, just get them in there. Let the rest of the country see what's going on. And, and maybe that's, again, you, you brought up a good point. Maybe there's so many good young stars right now. It's exciting people to, to get out and raise attendance, kind of coming full circle with, with your segment. But, uh, you could be right. You, you may have convinced me over the last 45 minutes that maybe my skepticism is more me than baseball. Well, I don't know, Dave, because let me tell you, I'm about to put a lot of pressure on you right now. Okay, go ahead. Well, usually I talk about what's something good to eat at a ball game, but... Oh, the closing, yeah. It's on you. Now it's my turn, uh, because usually you share things you eat during the games, and now it's it's my turn, and and I'm, I'm pretty... This is probably unconventional, but it's pretty simple, and... Um, I, I would describe myself in, in my the way I operate. I'm kind of complicated simplicity. So I give I give the appearance sometimes that I'm intertwined, but um, I'm really basic when you get down to it. So what I like, I like to listen to games more so than watch them nowadays. And because I traveled so much in my career, I tend to be a, a, a radio guy listening to games on the radio as opposed to watching. And this is where my eating habits started. That's why I kind of digress there. So um, and my coaching friends out there will, will laugh as they're listening to this because they know it. They would see me travel with it. So when I would when I would hit the road, and I've carried this you know this habit to home when I watch the game. So when I would hit the road, always black coffee. I, I like my coffee, and then I love movie popcorn. So when I would hit the road driving, whether it was recruiting or scouting, whatever it may be, I, I, I like to make my coffee on the inside. I'm not big on buying it on the outside. So. Um, I will every now and then, but you know, again, like you talked about your water, $6 cups of coffees aren't my thing. So I know how to make it just fine um, here. So I, I, I like black coffee and then I would drive by my movie theater, which Lowe's was one closest. Uh, and I would grab the the biggest bucket they have of the, the refillable popcorn. And, you know, it's usually like $15, $20, but 
but I'd put that in the passenger seat with my coffee and I'd listen to games on the radio or whatever I was doing and, and I'd eat my popcorn while I'm driving. No butter though. I don't like the butter. I can't stand that. Um, that's more of the, uh, again, there's my complexity. I can't stand the butter on my fingers. So no butter, just salt, a little salt and eat the popcorn. Um, and then when I would drive by another theater, cause it's free refills, another lowest theater down, I'd have, I'd have it mapped out on my route to say, okay, when am I going to pass? Okay. I won't get one for three hours. So if I was done, I'd stop by, get my refill at that free refill at that one. And, and, uh, and go from there. So, but I always brought enough coffee with me to not have to buy the coffee on the outside. So that's but that was my habit for 20 plus years. And people used to laugh because they'd, they'd see my empty popcorn bucket and they think, you're, you're making all this money coaching cheapo. Buy, buy popcorn each time. It's not 20 bucks to get free refills. I'm, I'm certainly uh, not above taking advantage of that. So when I, I go back to games at home, I'm the same way. I will make my uh, coffee. We've got a local coffee place here uh, in, near Myrtle. It's actually in Charleston. So we get our coffee from there, the beans, and we grind them ourselves and do it. So during games, that's what I have, black coffee. I'm watching games. And, and all my neighbors, even when I coach, they all laugh because they said, if there's ever a statue built to you, there's going to be a cup of coffee in your left hand. And because uh, I always have one, I'll, I'll, no matter what time of day it is, I like I like my coffee. And then um, the popcorn, same thing, you know, a little different. We, I don't go to the movie theater to get it during games home, but we get our, uh, we, we, we're Costco's, we will shop there. So I think that we get the Kirkland brand, but uh, it's called movie, movie popcorn. So we get the Kirkland brand and the kids have all liked it. So real simple popcorn, popcorn and hot, hot black coffee for me. Well, I have to say, I commend the ingenuity on the popcorn refills. And for that brief moment, I really wish that we did not only audio, but also video, because you would have seen me creased over with laughter at saving the popcorn container to get a refill. And now I don't feel so bad about saying I smuggle my own water into the bowl, because that takes the cake. Yeah. In fact, if I've had somebody in the car, they'd be like, where are you going? Why are we going to the movies? I said, no, no, I'll be right back in. And I walk in and tell the person, Hey, listen, I'm not coming to the movies. I just want to buy a popcorn. And by that time, you know, you travel similar routes. They start to know you after a while. And, uh, so you, you know, go and get my, my popcorn and walk out and put it in the passenger side of the car and eat and listen. And so I do the same thing here. My wife would just shake her head. She's like, Oh my God. So, but, uh, you know, that's, that, that's my, uh, that was something that worked for me. And I, again, I take it to home. It's, Simple popcorn, black coffee during games. Pretty much every game. What at home? Is it a microwave popcorn, or you do it the uh, old? Sometimes way? both. Like actually, it's funny. Before the show, I was asking my daughter. I said, "What's what's Daddy during games?" She goes, "Black coffee and popcorn." And uh, so she uh, she was saying, she goes, "Hey, I, I, we're going to do the kernels tonight." So I was like, "All right, it's fine." So she, we, I prefer to do popping it ourselves because we have a popcorn maker here, but we do have bags of microwave popcorn just in case of emergency. Right. You got to be prepared. Yep. And black coffee, when when you drink it at night, do you go decaf? No, no. I drink caffeinated. I don't see any purpose of decaf ever. I have no problem sleeping. Um, I, well, I say that I do, but it has nothing to do with coffee. It's uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm up middle of the night. Uh, I usually have a project by my on my desk and it's usually a project I'm putting off. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, I get down, I hour two until I get tired again and go back. But yeah, the coffee, I'll drink all hours of the day. No problem. But I'm, you know, it's funny. They, the kids will laugh at the biggest, one of the biggest hunts in the house is where did dad leave his coffee? 
because it's it's not like I'm drinking nonstop coffee all day long. I'll reheat it, which people cringe on as well. Um, But I'll, I'll reheat the coffee during the day because I, I go so slow drinking it. Um, It'll, I may have the same cup of coffee till five o'clock where I'm walking around. I've got a little sip here, a little sip there and, and then have to heat it up. But that's, that's one of the biggest games in the house. Where did dad leave his coffee? Sometimes it's on top of the car. Sometimes it's in the microwave. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, out, out by the uh, mailbox. Uh, so it's a, it's a nonstop battle. Like I said, complicated simplicity. I'm very intricate in a lot of areas of my world. I know our, our audience laughs or loves the, uh, the posts I do on Facebook and, I'm probably ruining my persona by telling them the, the simplicity of my food world right now. I don't want to have to think about it. I like my coffee, I like my popcorn. Um, same thing with my outfits. I'm, I'm colorblind. So um, I try to keep my outfits simple. So very simple. Black and white's very, very easy for me. So I uh, keep, keep it nice and easy for me. Leave my brain to think about important stuff. Well, that's great. You know, my husband is actually colorblind too. And um, he, I would say he keeps it simple as well. Yeah. Yep. Black and white. And then, uh, I've got some blues that are easy for me to see if they match. Like I, I have, uh, on today, uh, Navy and Navy and, uh, it's much, it's, it's easy for me to see shorts and shorts and a t-shirt. So very simple in those areas. And my oldest son takes after that. He's doesn't like to have to think about those things. And I think my younger son's following suit where the girls are a little bit different. They are two younger girls. Uh, they like their outfits and they like their colors. So uh, but I always told him if they ever want to mess with dad, just go in the closet and mess up the order of his shirts and his pants and his shorts. Cause I wouldn't be able to tell the difference anyway. So, but, uh, yeah, good one. No, that was easy one. I know you, you, you shot me that note that you were going to surprise me today with that, but simple. Hopefully I didn't disappoint the audience with my lack of creativity, but although the getting the popcorn at the movie, hopefully people follow that. So it's a great, honestly, it'd save you a ton of money. If, uh, snacks on the road and things like that, if you like popcorn, that's an easy way to do it. As long as they, they didn't close the loophole and, you know, be judicious with, you know, not maintaining that bucket for weeks at a time, because that's, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I think that's kind of taking advantage of the system, but also kick it kind of gross. Don't, don't use the bucket till you wear the bottom out, get rid of it after, you know, yeah, that, that bucket could get a little funky. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I don't keep them forever, but, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's my answer. I don't know if that's what you were expecting, but I wasn't, uh, wasn't too sophisticated. What I like best about it was that you kind of threw us a teaser early on when you were talking about prospects. You were like, they're like popcorn kernels. Yeah. That by accident too. You you give me a lot of credit for my segues, but that was by accident, but I'll, uh, I'll take the pat on the back. Well, good. What, uh, what can we expect next week? Any teases from you as to what we're, we're looking at in two weeks, I should say, I know it's hard to tell with the baseball world, but you got your eye on any, any topics out there? I think I'll be looking at how all these trade moves pan out. And by then we'll have a clearer picture, I think, of who's emerging and where things are going. So I'll look forward to taking a look at that with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, you know, when we get to that 40 man roster time. I'd love to, and talking specifically to the New York Yankee crowd, love to see them take a shot on bringing up Dominguez. I know it's a big jump, but I think everybody's been waiting to see him for a while now. And maybe he's not ready. I don't know. But I, I hope they, they get Cabrera and Peraza opportunities uh, in the bigs again this year when when, the, when it's on the line. Because to me, that that was exciting last year when those guys were up. I thought they, they made they made the they, they had a different way of playing the game. Um, it was it was fast. They were moving runners over. Um, I like the way they defend. But again, 
I'm not running the Yankees. It's just kind of throwing it out there. And the fans love it. They love seeing the kids come up. Yeah, they 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 uh, you know they're they're trying to win jobs and they, they make the game exciting and they're hungry and you know we won't. I don't think we'll see any of them doing what Stanton did around around third base the other day. So, but uh, no, another good show. Uh, another good show here. A date in October with KFT episode two forty four. Anything you want to leave us with, Kelly? Oh, I don't think so. I think I'm all spent here, Dave. But we'll uh, look forward to liaising again in a couple of weeks. We'll see if I started a trend. I'll let you know if there's some popcorn fanatics out there that decide to exploit my system of going to movie theaters with all you can eat buckets. So hopefully we, we've started a trend out here. It's going to be the rage. Yep. I hope so. I'll start something, right? But uh, thanks again for a great show. Uh, I know our fan base loves it. Uh, date in October with KFT episode 244 on real voices of the game. And that's a wrap. Kelly, have a great rest of the week and look forward to texting with you throughout the next couple weeks and prep for our show. And, uh, Always a surprise what you're going to cover, so I'm excited to see what happens next year. All right, Dave. Me too. Have a great day. You too.